The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, welcome everybody. This is our last class uh, for the hindrances. It's fine if you haven't been here before. It's fine if you've only been to a subset of them. We'll... But um, maybe I'll just do a really um, high-level overview of all five hindrances. There's a number of ways that we can think about them. And one way that I like to think about them is, um, as I was just mentioning before I turned on the recorder, that um, we're doing them in reverse order, pseudo-reverse order. But the classic order is the first two are, have to do with this push and pull of experience. This kind of pull where we want things, kind of desire, or this push we don't want something, this ill will. And that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Is this uh, not wanting, aversion, ill will? Then the second two of the hindrances are about um, our energy levels having very little energy and feeling kind of collapsed and dull and kind of in a stupor, both in the mind and in the body, or having too much energy where we can't sit still and we can't stop fidgeting, we can't stop moving around, or the mind is like raising around, racing around and can't quite land on anything. So the energy can be too low or too high. And then the fifth one is doubt. That um, we can think of it, maybe the energy is okay, but there's this hesitation, this vacillation, like, I'm not sure, I don't know, what should I do? I'm, hmm, I, can I do this? Is this the right teaching? Is this the right practice? And it's great to have these questions, but it only turns into a hindrance when we kind of get stuck there. And we're just, don't do anything just because we're filled with this questioning and uncertainty of what to do. That's a really high level of all five hindrances. And tonight we're going to talk about ill will. But before I jump into that, um, last week, um, as we mentioned, as I mentioned before I turned on the recorder, that um, we talked with about desire and this wanting more, and how um, often it can be an experience of um, thinking that, okay, I just need to get this one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. And somehow, it's crazy, right? We have this idea that, okay, well, this thing, we don't think of this consciously, but this thing will be a source of lasting happiness. Okay, well, this other thing will be a source of lasting happiness. Okay, well, maybe this other thing, and then off we go, just chasing after these things. So, whether you were here last week or not, is there something you'd like to share or um, have a question about this practice of turning towards desire, that is, turning away from the objects that we're desiring, and instead turn around, and what's the experience to be desiring? Instead of what's out there, to what's, what's it like to desire? What's it like to lean forward and always be wanting more, more, more? Would anybody like to comment or share the practice or...
You don't have the desire to speak. Thank you. Can you turn on the mic? It's not turned on. I guess I I have the question whether a kind of obsessing over things uh, during meditation, you know, when the mind keeps going back to something, you know, um, is that uh, desire in a way, or is that any one of these uh, particular things? If, you know, if I like really want to think about some topic, and I always go back to this in meditation, is that the hindrance of desire? Mm. Yeah. Sometimes it's not clear exactly which hindrance it is. All we just know is that we're being hindered, that it's being away. Because what you're describing maybe could be restlessness too, this kind of like going over, around and around again. Or maybe, if I don't know, if it's about um, kind of like pursuing some pleasure, thinking that that pleasure is going to be somehow satisfying. Or is it um, a wish... Maybe it's a fantasy about you know something that doesn't have anything to do with our like present day reality. So maybe um, I, I like for you. I don't know what you're what you're described. Whether we would call that desire, but whether it's exactly desire, you could just like well, what does it feel like? Kind of you could do this. You know, you could be with it. You can examine it. What's the felt experience of it? How does it feel in the body? What are the what's the nature of the mind? And to in this examination to kind of uh, do this gentle inquiry also, are there some beliefs underneath that are fueling whatever this might be? This kind of I think did you use the word obsessive or yeah yeah so whether we can get a little bit tied up about what exactly it is, but can we work with it even if we're not sure what type of hindrance it is? Can we work with the experience? Is is that helpful? <laughs> yeah. It, no, this, and not only is it may it not be clear which precise hindrance it is, we may be experiencing a few of them at the same time. Like, I'm having these obsessive thoughts, and I don't like them, I wish they would go away, and I feel agitated and I want to leave and stop, that may be a whole mixture of things. So we could be with that um, experience. It feels now a little bit loud, right? I turned this up. How's the volume for you guys? Is it, is it okay? It's good? Oh, okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's been too low all this time and I just finally... <laughs> Anybody else have a comment or question? Yeah, Jordan. Um, hi. Good to see you. Um, I have a question. It's like we're, we're taught to be with the experience and um, wondering what to do from there. You know, I sit with the experience, say with central desire, gives me anxiety, so it kind of feeds into restlessness maybe. But I feel it, but where do I go from there? What what can I learn? Yeah. Well, have you learned anything from it? 
Well, I, through coming to the class, I learned how to um, kind of tame it. Um, and I'm guessing, I mean, I guess my question is like, what, uh, what is the goal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So I have a few things to say. So one is these so-called hindrances. Well, what are they hindering? Like what's going to happen when they're not there? And so one is our meditation practice, settling down or concentration, like getting focused, but also kind of gets in the way of our greatest wisdom kind of gets in the way of our showing up in the best versions of ourselves, right? When we're under the sway of desire or the sway of ill will or kind of like uh, stopped with doubt or something, it's not, we're not feeling our potential. So that's one thing that when we are, um, when the hindrances diminish, then there's more freedom and more ease and we're not pushed around by them anymore. And then your question of like, well, then what? I wonder if if it's, it sounds like maybe underneath there. Could I don't and I don't know if this is true. You can just inquire for yourself if this is true. It's this idea of well, I thought I could get rid of them, so I'm being with them, but it's still there and it hasn't gotten rid. It hasn't gone away. It could be this this message, this quiet uh, um, and back of the mind thinking like okay I'm being with it in order to make it go away yeah it turns out if we could control these we wouldn't have to work with them at all right if we could make them arise when we wanted to and make them go away when we wanted to so instead we just get to know them know the experience of having them and then somehow that with this knowledge, with this awareness, this familiarity of both how they act, how they affect us, and the experience of them, our kind of our mind body just naturally starts to not go there as often. It just happens when we start to really understand and experience and feel like, oh, this isn't helpful. This isn't the direction I want my life to go. Then it starts the when we really feel that then it's it's a slow process but they stop arising quite as often they stop hindering let's say that they may still arise but they don't get in the way because like oh yeah here's desire and then somehow the power of it kind of and the suffering the power and the suffering drain out of it is that helpful yeah it's um inspiring thank you (laughs) You're welcome. <laughs> Any other comments or questions? So tonight we're going to talk about ill will. It's kind of an interesting expression, ill will. Sometimes it's also called aversion. Sometimes it's also translated as anger. And these are states of mind that somehow kind of like, like strike against experience, kind of like um, push away or reject the reality of the moment, what's actually happening. And so these, 
these states of mind, we, we may, it's so tempting and it may be habitual to think, well, I'm feeling this because of that thing out there that is causing me to feel ill will. It's causing me to feel aversion. But So we believe that somehow our outer problems are like attacking us somehow or that the problem is out there. But however uncomfortable or however difficult our experiences might be, they're just difficult experiences. That's all they are. They don't become problems, quote-unquote, until we make them become problems. It's only then when the suffering arises, when we add when we add the response of ill will, when we add the reaction of aversion, when we turn towards it with certain types of hatred, dang it, why is this happening? Go away. That's the pro- that's the problem. We can't make difficult experiences go away. That's part of the human experience. I wish I could. I wish I could have all of you not have difficult experiences. But it's our reaction to them. It's the way that we respond to them where the, where the suffering lies. And it's true that what we tend to do, what we often do with our minds, with the ways that we respond, they often become habitual. So it can be our way, as soon as anything's comfortable, where there's this either this turning away and or a pushing way. And if this turning away and or pushing away is accompanied with some hostility sometimes, that can be a striking out, can turn into anger. Maybe the anger is a loud anger where we're yelling. Or maybe it's a quiet simmering anger where we're Somehow thinking this shouldn't be this way. I can't believe it says this kind of this underground little. I don't know what it is exactly. Just this uh, loud annoyance, maybe, or something like this. I think that uh, the way that Jack Cornfield um, describes it. Well, he describes. This like this habit to um, have some aversion or ill will to our uncomfortableness or any difficulties that we're having. He likens them to a distorted autoimmune response. He's saying that our misguided reaction of hatred does not protect us. Rather, it becomes the cause of our continued unhappiness. Right, the immune response is supposed to protect us against pathogens. Autoimmune is one that turns against us and causes disease. So in this way, he's saying that difficulties may arise, but it's the nature of things to pass away. I'm not saying that they aren't terribly difficult and they can't be intense and painful. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It's unfortunate. It does happen. But when we respond to it with a certain amount of hostility, aversion, ill will, hatred, that's adding more difficulty on top. And often it's the ill will, the hatred, the hostility that's fueling the bad sensations, fueling the suffering. And sometimes that's worse than the uncomfortable sensation that we're experiencing. 
So sometimes ill will is a cover for something deeper. It's, it's a flashes up and it shows up because maybe there's frustrated desire underneath it. Maybe there's fear or embarrassment or maybe there's some physical discomfort, some physical pain that's underneath it. So how do we how do we undermine some of these habits that we have that don't serve us? How do we not feed into these cycles we might have of ill will and then we have aversion towards the ill will and then we have hatred towards the aversion towards the ill will and we can just spin and go. And then we find ourselves doing things that we later regret that we had done. So we can do this a few ways. We can practice and work with this in a few ways. One is with a meditation practice, which I'll lead us through. And another is um, just in daily life, too, is to have some more mindfulness, just to be aware. Jordan was saying, well, okay, I'm mindful of it, but then what? But this is where it begins, just to notice. Probably many of you might know this um, Buddhist teaching of the first arrow and the second arrow. The first arrow is what life brings us. We can't control it. The traffic is bad. We're sick. That person wants to break up with us. Our kids are doing something they think we... Whatever it is, right? That's what life happens to us. That's the first arrow. But then, unknowingly, we sometimes pick up a second arrow and stab ourselves, which hurts even more. And sometimes the second arrow is the aversion, the ill will, the hostility that we have. That's a type of... It's a type of poison that kind of chips away at our well-being. So maybe with that, we'll do a guided meditation, and then after the guided meditation, I'll open it up for some more questions and comments. For those of you who haven't um, been here before, we've been um, using this tool to help us with the guided meditation. It's called Bella. B-E-L-L-A. B is for to be with. E is to examine. L is to lessen. The second L is to let go. And A is to appreciate. Appreciate the absence. So I'm going to go through these in order just as in the kind of as a pedagogical style, the way that I'm teaching. But know that when you're doing this on your own, maybe you don't need all five letters. Maybe they don't need to be in this order. Maybe there's need to emphasize one other than what I'm emphasizing them. Great. Okay, so to begin, let's take an alert, upright posture. One, a posture that expresses our intention to be here now. A posture also that has a certain amount of ease. This can be a skill to figure out how to have some alertness <laughs> and some ease. And let's begin with three long, slow, deep breaths. 
Sometimes it's helpful to have this exaggerated breath to help us connect with it. We can allow the breathing to return to normal. Trusting that the body knows how to breathe. help support some ease and relaxation. It can be helpful to do a little bit of a body scan. Check in around the eyes, the jaw, the places where we often hold tension. Check in with the shoulders. upper back and lower back, the chest and the belly, sometimes with just bringing our attention to these areas there can be a certain softening. There doesn't need to be any sense that we have to make things happen or force anything, we're just noticing. Feel the pressure of the chair, the cushion against your body. Feeling grounded here, now. The upper legs, the lower legs, and the feet. Another place we can feel grounded, supported. The arms, and the hands, relaxing the hands, can be a place where we often hold tension. Then we'll start with some mindfulness of the sensations of breathing. Just feeling the movement of the abdomen, the chest, Maybe the feeling of air going in and out of the nose. Just resting our awareness in one of those three places. when we find that we're no longer mindful, no longer present with the sensations of breathing, just very simply bring your attention back to the sensations of breathing. Wouldn't be surprising if you find yourself lost in thought. Most likely you've been thinking all day. Just very gently begin again with the sensations of breathing.
Now, to practice with aversion, invite you, ask you to elicit a simple, easy memory of aversion, not the most difficult, just a simple one. Bring to mind one of the things you tend to want to push away or turn away from. Maybe it's being in traffic. Maybe it's being seen someone homeless or someone who's doing something that you are critical of, you feel critical of. Whatever things you tend to get in caught in fantasy about making go away. Can you be with this sensation of aversion? Can you take your time and simply be present and aware of this wishing things were different, this wanting to turn away. Having aversion is a part of the human experience. So be, can you be with it? And then examine what impact does aversion have on your body? impact does it have on your mind? What impact does it have on your ability to stay with the breath or whatever your object is? examine, is there any hostility associated with this wanting to turn away? You could examine, is there anything underneath the aversion that's fueling it? Maybe a a belief about how things should be. Maybe a wish for things to be better. Notice if there's aversion to aversion. Then we examine aversion. And then to lessen some of the impact that aversion has, we can 
apply a little bit more energy, just a little bit more, so that the aversion doesn't distract us. Another way that we can lessen aversion is to do a very simple loving-kindness practice. Loving-kindness is the antidote to ill will. To do a very simple loving-kindness practice, bring to mind somebody, some being for whom it's easy to feel warmth, care, love, goodwill, respect. Somebody most likely you have an uncomplicated relationship with. How does that impact your body? Have thoughts of this lovable being? How does that impact your mind? For those of you who have a metta or loving-kindness practice, you know that we often use phrases to help support the cultivation of loving-kindness. We'll do a short little practice here. So we're absolutely starting where it's easy. The person that is, or the being, maybe it's kittens, puppies, babies, where it's easy to feel love. And we extend loving-kindness towards them. Repeat these phrases after me silently in your mind. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. 
Can you connect to that feeling of goodwill? Of well-wishing? Maybe with the cultivation of loving-kindness, there's able to let go of that ill will. Notice if there is any lessening or, or letting go. Notice if there's any sense of well-being may not be your dominant experience. Can you tap into that? And appreciate the absence or the lessening of the ill will, the aversion. Acknowledge whatever sense of freedom, well-being, or ease comes when this, the grip of it will becomes less powerful. You can appreciate the tenderness of the heart that might arise when ill will abates. And check in with the sensations in the body. Just a gentle reflection. How is it now? How was it during loving kindness practice, that brief practice that we did? How was it bringing to mind that those occasions when you want to turn away or have aversion or ill will. How are those experiences different? And then to end this meditation, you can feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes.
So I snuck in a little loving kindness practice <laughs> in there. And you'll notice that right when I hadn't do loving kindness, it was to start where it was easy with, with a lovable being. Not the person, the situation, the difficulty in which we might be having aversion or ill will. We don't have to do that. What we're doing is just kind of like shifting some of our experience or shifting our frame of reference in a way that um, has allows for more openness and spaciousness. Kind of ill will has a way of kind of, or aversion has a way of like tunneling and narrowing, tightening our perspective or our views or our experience. So are there any comments or questions about um, ill will, aversion, or the guided meditation? Yeah. Thank you. I think you have to turn that on. Can you push the little button there until it turns green? Okay. Thank you. Um, Well, I just dropped in, and um, when I saw the topic, I said, well, I don't have ill will. I don't want to hit anyone or... This, this isn't for me, but I'll listen. <laughs> um, but then I was thinking during the meditation about certain relationships where the, I'm not as um, happy in them. And so there's destructive behaviors that I now recognize. I'm like, wow, that's ill will, rather than thinking about why am I unhappy or what's the relationship issue? I'm just striking out in different ways that's destructive in other ways that's, that, uh, yeah, so that was pretty interesting to observe. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Right, this ill will, I think you're probably not alone. Most of us are thinking like, well, I'm I'm not, uh, well, I don't know if I shouldn't speak, I don't know what other people are thinking. But uh, it's common to think, well, even if we use this word hatred, I don't hate anybody. But then we start to notice, oh yeah, there are these little, like this flavor or this, uh, maybe I'll just use that word flavor sometimes, of a little bit of hostility. Not flagrant, not, uh, maybe sometimes it is, but it's a big range, a big range from very subtle, quiet to, you know, large slashing out. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else have some comments or questions? Thank you, Mitra. Yeah, I feel the same. I always feel that there's no one that I hate or um, want them to not be well. Um, But I also notice that um, there's just so much resistance to everything and everyone and uh, that's different than hatred but it's ill will probably because everything that I encounter I'm my first reaction is no no there's something wrong with that or um, and that's exhausting mm-hmm. um So does it help to to try to see where that comes from? 
Let's see. So there's a way to do the, to, with the, we, I would say in this practice is the, to do a gentle inquiry. Like what's underneath this? Like what's fueling this? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe it's like just physical pain. Like if we have pain, sometimes we are, you know, less open or generous. I would say it's the role of psychotherapy to kind of like dig in and say, oh, that's that thing that happened when I was eight or something like that. It's great and it's a fantastic thing to do. But it's a different practice than here. They often are complementary. Here, it's more a gentle inquiry where we create the space, create the conditions in which we drop in a question like, what's fueling this? What's underneath it? And it's the act of asking the question that has the power, not the answer. We may or may not get an answer. An answer may bubble up, but not because we've been digging and digging and digging. That's something different than kind of like a meditation or reflection practice. I already feel like by noticing it, by just noticing it after all these years of, I'm sure, having the same reaction, I'm just now, you know, noticing it as soon as it comes on, I feel like, oh, there it is. Um, I think that that's helping to just notice it. It's it's definitely where it starts, and then something will happen. Like uh, maybe you'll be in the shower, and then bing, they'll be like, oh, oh, and they'll be like their little insight into like, oh, there's this is underneath it, or you'll be taking out the trash, <laughs> you know, just doing something in which your mind isn't really thinking about it in particular. That's often when insights arise. But it starts with noticing. It starts with noticing, oh yeah, it's here and here, and it takes this form and this and this situation and this other form and this other situation, but somehow to recognize the experience of it. And maybe I should say here, Compassion, compassion, compassion. Can we have compassion for ourselves? This is part of the human experience. There is not a person who doesn't have this. This, this wanting to turn away, maybe a little, sprinkled with some hostility, maybe there's some ill will. Mm-hmm. We all have this and it's all painful. When we start to notice, we start to notice the discomfort of it. And then we often have aversion to our aversion. So it gets worse. As best you can, can you have some compassion? Yes, this is part of the human experience. Thank you. Yeah. I noticed that um, when I do day-long retreats here, I get a lot of aversion from back pain. And like I want to adjust my posture and move and and for a while I try to deal with it. Then it's like I go on a walking meditation to come back and I kind of still there. So I'm wondering how to deal with that because I'm going to go on some retreat soon and it's like I want to prepare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I have a few things to say. Maybe one is, of course, this is perfectly normal and natural, right? If you haven't been sitting a lot, it's um, um, 
not uh, unheard of, right? To have some physical pain. So there's two things. You can adjust your posture, right? You can alternate between sitting in a chair or sitting on the floor or say a bench with a cushion or something like this. Two, you can be with it in a way that feels useful. That is, in a way in which you feel like you're learning something, you're building your capacity to be with uncomfortableness, that you're learning about yourself, you're noticing what your mind does when the body gets uncomfortable, you're noticing um, when what your expectations for comfort are, do you slip into um, some self-critical mode or whatever it might happen when things are uncomfortable. We can learn a lot. We can learn a lot about ourselves by how we are behaving when things are uncomfortable. And we can use meditation practice as a fantastic place to practice with this because chances are there'll be times in your life, my life, all of our lives, when we are physically uncomfortable. We will all die. Some of us may have some (coughs) discomfort associated with that. So it can be a way to learn about this and to increase our capacity. But we have to pay attention and bring some wisdom. There can also be a way in which we just start wrestling and hating and just getting into a terrible... um, I don't know, we just kind of like spiral down into it. And we find that's happening, then that's not useful to stay with the discomfort anymore. So then we can shift our posture or do something to take care of ourselves. And I will say, in particular with um, meditation, sitting with meditation, it does get easier. I may well say, for me, I remember my very first meditation retreat. Um, I was sitting behind somebody who I was amazed. I was so amazed. This person could sit still for the whole 45 minutes. I didn't know how could that happen. I was so fidgety. I was like a person that I just, I had back pain too. And now I'm the person that can sit steady. And right, so it just happens with uh, practice and doing more of it. So just offer that as encouragement. And then maybe the last thing I'll say about this, there's, we don't have to sit on the floor too. There's no need to, unless I sit on the floor because I feel steady and I'm not so tall. So my feet don't always hit the ground in a nice way. But um, there's no requirement. Any other comments or questions? Yeah. So last week, you know, it was desire, but ever since last week, it has just been one of, you know, ill aversion thing after another for me. (laughs) So it was like not best timing but I can really relate for what you said about um, it feels like something's attacking us I never thought about it that way but because when it feels like something's attacking you feel like the healthy thing to do is to put energy toward it and you don't think about the or the that you are the origins of that energy but I had this experience because I, I went on a hike with a friend 
And we came across, we were hiking up in Marin County, and there were all these beef cattle up there. And I had some, I grew up in a dairy town, and I had some really bad experiences just with my friends and getting chased by cows because they're not as docile as people (laughs) think they are, you know. And, but in my meditation, I had confronted fear and being with fear fear and letting go of fear and so when I saw, and so we were at this and she had never my friend had never been around cows and so she was like trying to you know like spook them I go don't do that because you're there you're inviting them to so it was it was like it, it was it, but anyway we came to this one part and they were like they were there were just a ton of, there were quite a few of them, and they were, like, all over where, like, we had to walk through them, and they, you know, they all they all kind of ran around, and then they stood, and they were staring at us, and I felt, and I went, oh, wait, I know this. This is fear, and I know how to let go of this, and so I just let go of it, and I go, come on, Lisa, we'll, we'll be fine. I said, just stay calm and just walk through them, you know, and, but I was, I was, it was really exciting because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had that same reaction if I didn't, hadn't rehearsed it in meditation. And it was like, what's what you're talking about? It's, it's like, and I didn't realize it before, but I, but when I shifted it to, oh, wait, I know this, it was coming from me, not from out there. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's fantastic. Right when you least suspect it, all this practice starts to bear fruit, and we right. have uh, some benefits. Of it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, the cows would have ran after you. You might have thought differently. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but but I do think because once I said I, I go like we're fine, and she goes you're sure, and I'm like I just keep going, you know, and and they kind of and then they and then they kind of scooted off, and I think we were fine. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story. It's true. That's why we do some of this meditation practice, right? It's because the benefits show up in our daily life. Even though we may not, be, it may not be clear, like while we're meditating, exactly what the benefits are. It's things like this that happen. So now I'd like to invite you to get into small groups and to um, speak um, amongst yourselves. Why don't we count off by three? So we can start here. Jordan, you can be one. So we're going to have the threes over there somewhere and the twos over there somewhere and the ones over there and you can arrange the chairs however you want and then when you get settled I'll um, give you a question. Okay, so you can introduce yourselves to your partners. And so the purpose of this is just for us to learn a little bit about ourselves and to kind of expand our uh, what we already know about ourselves. So 
We're going to have um, a question, and then one person will speak at a time, and you'll just share your ideas, your thoughts about something. And then I'll go around, and then the next person will go clockwise. So we're not giving advice to each other. We're not um, telling each other what to do. But um, we're just listening respectfully and while the speaker is sharing and exploring this topic. So um, each person can uh, speak for three minutes or so and I'll ring the bell and then they can stop and then we'll pause for a moment and then we'll go to the second person and then we'll go to the third person. So we'll start with the person who is closest to this big glass window. And then we'll go clockwise. And the question is, what role does ill will have in your life? Or and how strongly does ill will or aversion operate for you in your life? Does it have a big presence, a little presence? Are you not even sure? And maybe you feel like this is a simple one-word answer. But the encouragement is to maybe kind of talk and maybe explore and learn something about yourself and the role of ill will in your life. So the first person can begin. Let me get, let's see here. And for the second question, what beliefs do you have that support your aversion or ill will? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about others? that tends to result in aversion or ill will? What beliefs do you have that underlie, support your aversion or ill will? So please begin. Okay. So can you thank your partners and then we'll come back to the larger circle. to listen to yourself talk about the role that it will aversion has in your life or some of the beliefs that you may have that um, underlie it how was it to hear some other people's experience of ill will would anybody like to share or comment Um, yeah, so I dropped in again. I uh, wasn't sure what we were going to talk about, but as I said earlier, I didn't think I had ill will that much. Um, but upon reflection through this um, evening and some of the more uh, larger struggles that I have, um, I get the sense that 
there's actually like a a recipe of all these five things. And if you take like your top three struggles, you could probably look and go, wow, there's like this recipe of these five aversions or the five, what's it called? Hindrances. The five, five hindrances, hindrances, yeah. So I just get the sense that if I would have came to the last four, I would have been able to say, oh yeah, there's like 5% of that or like here's the... the the cake that's baking this like <laughs> so anyway that was just kind of what I had that thought so let's see if I understand what you're saying so are like some recipes if you want to make a cake as opposed to brownies for example would you have like more of aversion a little bit less desire and stir it up with some doubt and sprinkle in some uh, res- uh, sloth and torpor that kind of a thing yeah and then that like ends up with this specific like problem that you're sort of sort of grappling with day to day yeah and so it's interesting to dissect it and because i sort of had this um instinct at first to say well ill will is like the cause i'm trying to like identify it as like if i can solve that one problem then this thing will go away but then i sort of was thinking that through a bit and realized that that's probably not it's quite so simple Maybe sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, yeah. right? Yeah, it just depends. Yeah, yeah. And so this is why we're kind of learning to gain familiarity with them. What does this feel like? What role do they have in our lives? So that we, we can begin to work with them and get curious about them, explore with them, experiment with them, and so that they start to lose some of their power over us. I mean, these hindrances were described thousands of years ago, and we're still talking about them today. Right? It's just part of the human experience. So how can we um, transform them from being something that's um, preventing us from being the best versions of ourselves, preventing us from finding freedom? And instead, can we just acknowledge that actually maybe working with all these hindrances together, one at a time, is actually the way forward. It's actually the, it's the path is to work with these. We often, we sometimes have this idea like, okay, well, I could do X, Y, or Z. If these dang hindrance things weren't here, mm-hmm. it turns out that the way forward is actually to work with them. That Ma- is the path. Yeah. Maybe it cakes the wrong analogy. Maybe it's more like a, a knot of these different strings and a few of those strings are... Uh, ill will and every knot's a little bit different nice nice <laughs> and sometimes right we can pull one thread out and then all of them fall apart right. but sometimes yeah. we pull one thread and we notice oh wait there's this other thread that it's connected mm-hmm. to and this other thread that it's not connected to but yeah cool. great thanks thank you tony anybody else have a comment or a question I guess I wonder uh, why then we switched to loving kindness earlier. You know, is the idea to overcome the hindrance of aversion through its antidote, um, or is it to, you know, work through the aversion somehow? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Thank you for asking us. We have to, we get to use wisdom. When, when is it best to, um, to work with it, to be with it? And when is it best to use the antidote? Sometimes antidotes don't work. 
Sometimes we're, we don't have access to these feelings of aversion or ill will. And sometimes it's just maybe not the wise thing to do. Maybe we're using um, loving kindness as its own kind of like sledgehammer, like, you know, here, this for ill will and like kind of trying to kill the ill will in some kind of way with uh, this loving kindness. So we get, it's there maybe it's just another tool to use how to work with our experience. But I, I agree with you. I think it's a great point that the, we're not trying to get rid of it because it's not always it's not always possible and that's not always the most wise thing to do. Part of it is to learn about it. How what what role does it will have? What does it feel like? What what do I what's my habitual way of responding to it? And so with kind of understanding that, then maybe we'll understand better when is it a good to apply an antidote like a loving kindness and when isn't it? I kind of use that uh, tonight as a kind of a teaching tool, as another, um, yeah, as a tool that we can use. But I agree. This, this, like when, because sometimes we're using, there's two ways in which we, we sometimes talk about the hindrances and both are true. One is it's a problem that we need to, work with somehow and one is no it's uh it's a problem and wait the first way could be it's a hindrance and it's hindering and we're focusing on the experience of it being a hindrance the second way of looking at it is no it's the path forward it's the practice getting to know it and working with it and sometimes we simply do not have access to wise ways of working with it or being with it. And so it's helpful to just know that okay, it's part of the human experience and be curious about it and learn about it and then gain some skills with it. Thank you, though. I think this is an excellent question, this idea of an antidote. Are we just trying to get rid of all of them? Anybody else have a comment or a question? Um, thanks for the class and the series. I'm wondering if you could summarize, like, I know, like, when we do Bella. We lessen it, so we say we use the antidote. Can you summarize, like, for each hindrance, what we should do to lessen it, or something like that? Yeah, um, I have a notebook somewhere that I, uh, Tony and I, kind of like pulled that together. I don't have it all on the top of my head, but I, I will say this: that. Um, Even, so before this, because for me, myself, you know, I'm in the role of the teacher and I'm trying to teach this and sometimes I'm asking myself, really, is that lesson or letting go? How are these related? There's no need to get tangled up in that, right? We're just working with these. Having said that, I will say that to um, lessen, often that movement towards lesson 
usually automatically happens as soon as we start examining. Because if we are lost in the hindrance, there's just the hindrance. We'll just talk about ill will. There's just ill will, and somehow we're lost in it and identified with it, and that's just all of our experience. But as soon as we start to examine, there becomes a little separation between what's examined and the examiner. And now there's this tiny little gap between what's being examined and the examiner. And in that gap is some freedom, some choice, maybe something different can happen than if, we're, than if it's just the hindrance. So I will say examining is a way in which already starts the lessening. And then for today, of course, I talked about um, loving kindness as an antidote. Let's see. And so you were asking me, I, you know, I don't have this off the top of my head, but they are for all of the other ones. And then maybe I'll just unpack that word examine a little bit. Often, one of the easiest and maybe the most accessible ways when we're in the midst of hindrance, I'm not saying it's easy, I'm saying the easiest is to feel it in the body. Is to get out of the head as much as we can because we're, we're spinning stories and we're maybe stabbing ourselves with additional arrows, beating ourselves up, thinking things should be different. But if we can convert our experience to like a physical felt sense and then to be with that felt sense. That felt sense may be uncomfortable. It may be a tightening in the throat, maybe a knot in the belly, maybe a collapsing of the chest, whatever it is but it's a little bit more tangible. And then it takes, it kind of uh, drains out some of the power, drains out some of the suffering of the whole experience if we can just be with the felt experience, because not only is it tangible, but that's here and now. So it kind of helps bring us back to the present moment. Often our thoughts are spinning right into the past or the future and just more and more suffering is happening. So I would say for for me to examine often gets translated into how does this feel in the body? And then to be with that experience and get to know it. And then to maybe um, see if we can soften or... Sometimes with felt experiences, we can notice that, oh, this is just a knot in the belly. Somehow the the associations we may have, the fear we may have, the all these other things that turn them into problems, they start to diminish. And then the letting go. We can do this when we're, maybe when we start to feel like, oh, actually, this is, I don't need to do this. This isn't helpful, isn't taking my life, isn't taking this moment in the direction I want to go. So maybe we can let go. Not always. We can't always do that. That's why we have this kind of lessening step. These hindrances, I'm sure you've noticed, right, are a big spectrum. Sometimes they are really loud in our our dominant experience, or maybe they're really subtle. 
So sometimes we just practice with lessening, kind of taking away some of the way they push us around or hinder. So it's nine o'clock and I want to respect all of your time and to thank you for coming here. It's been a it's been a real pleasure of mine to teach this and Tanya and I were talking about how, how much we enjoyed teaching this with you guys, so thank you. She's on retreat. Let's see at nine o'clock. She's probably just started a meditation session, so <laughs> she's probably her thought has come here. And can you hold up this this book just so other people can see? So this uh, class is based on this book. Uh, it's called Unhindered by Gil Franstall, the founder of the center here. It's available on Amazon. You'll discover that the handouts have a remarkable resemblance to what's in that book. <laughs> so uh, many things are similar. Some things that are in that book that... Um, we didn't talk about here as much are some practices that you can do in your daily life um, to work with them. I don't know if there's anything that you wanted to say. Would you you would like to say about this book, Unhindered? Or? Yeah, no, it's it's really good. It kind of goes. It has a kind of uh, breaks each of the hindrances into different little categories and gives reflections and exercises for for like kind of dissecting each you know each part of it. Yeah, so if you wanted to work with this some more, that's uh, just offer that as an, an idea. Otherwise, I wish you all a wonderful evening, and may all your obstacles turn into just other meditation objects and not obstacles at all. Thank you. <laughs>